this final week, would you, uh, that was the staff, the staff, would you give them a hand that you saw on the screen there? Um, I'm going to share a little bit more at the end of the message, but uh, it's just really a privilege to work with this group of people, and uh, I'm excited about how God is orchestrating a lot of different things. So um, I know you were just standing, but since this is the last sermon in this series, I'm going to ask you to stand again, and we're going to read this scripture that's on the screen. Galatians 5, through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Can I pray for us? Fathers, we look at this passage again today. Uh, it's been a long summer, but at the same time, too, hopefully an enlightening one for all of us, myself included. And I just pray that you would continue to speak to us today now about this issue of self-control. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so what I want to do uh, this morning is I want to ask you to imagine a city. Okay, so in your mind's eye, just I want you to imagine a city, but it's a city where there's just a lot of grace. And there's a lot of patience, and it's not a city like any other city maybe you've visited before or been a part of before. In fact, um, there's so much patience and love and kindness between all of the residents, it just feels like you're on a different planet when you show up at that particular city. Those people, they give one another the benefit of the doubt. They don't get agitated. They're not quick to get angry with each other in this city. I mean, it's just this really idealistic place. In fact, kindness is kind of the pervasive quality that you find when you visit this city. Outsiders who visit that city, they can't stop talking after they go home about just the incredible people that they meet and just the spirit of peace that they themselves experience when they come into that city and visit people and, and encounter different people. Uh, all these people who work together, there's no competition among the people in this city, there's no envy. Nobody's jealous of whatever, what somebody else has. And in fact, if there's somebody that's going without, some other people, they usually pitch in and they try to help somebody out. They, they, like I said, they give each other the benefit of the doubt. They stop, they communicate, uh, they gently try to protect peace whenever there's a disagreement in this city. It's just a really, really, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's almost like the, dairy, or the, the Disney characters are going to start prancing out here as I'm describing what this city is like. It sounds like a fairy tale, but what's interesting is, is if you got that picture in your mind of this incredible city where that pervasive character is that, you kind of zoom out. Let's jump in a plane and go up about 2,000 feet. So now you can kind of see the whole city and you notice something about that city. There's a wall. There's been a wall that has been built around that city. Now, it's not, it's not a normal wall, though. As you look at the wall, you realize that there's something pretty significant about this wall that's around that city. Kind of like if that wall was not there or if there was a breach in that wall or a crack or a hole in that wall, that somehow the character that we just talked about that you would find in that city would be at risk 
all this love and this patience towards one another, this kindness and, and peace that these people experience in this city, you somehow get the sense that there's something about that wall that's keeping that safe, that's protecting that. And if there were a breach, the very thing that that city is known for would be at risk. So in the 10th century BC, there was a guy named Solomon. So Solomon was the king. He was the supreme leader over another city, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem was a unique city in the sense that it had a wall around it, the city of Jerusalem. So Solomon is the king of Jerusalem. There's, it's an interesting time when he becomes king and when he becomes the leader of that city. The interesting thing is the city had grown, and in its growth, uh, some of the walls had become disrepaired. There were some breaches in that wall. There were some areas that weren't even covered by the wall. And so when Solomon came into reign, one of his number one priorities was, we've got to build this wall. We've got to patch it. We've got to complete this wall. We've got to mend this thing. We've got to get this wall around this city better maintained. But there was a problem. There was a problem. The problem was not the wall. The problem it wasn't even the holes that were in the wall. Actually, the problem was Solomon. He was the problem. Solomon has gone down in history uh, as being one of the wisest men who's ever lived. Yet, the actions of his life contradict that wisdom. Contradict that wisdom. The idea of him, I'm going to come in and I'm going to build this wall to protect and, and we're going we're gonna to make sure we, we take care of all these breaches in the wall. The idea of Solomon being the one that fixes a breach in somebody's wall when he's got so many breaches in his own life was kind of an oxymoron. It wasn't going to happen. He personally lived with no defense in place, and eventually all of that caught up to him. Uh, he's less known today for his wisdom than he is for his spiritual and uh, all kinds of different failures, moral failures. And it wasn't lost on Solomon either. He knew. He knew that he had blown it. In fact, if you look in Scripture and all the different things that Solomon wrote, uh, there's a lot of reflection in his words where he realizes, man, I blew it. I blew it. In fact, uh, he had asked, God had asked him, Solomon, ask for anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, I want some wisdom. I want, I want, I want all the wisdom in the world. And so God blessed him with all this knowledge and all this wisdom, but then Solomon at a, a certain point in his life, realizing how much he was blowing it, he wrote the following, Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Uh, as we finish the fruit of the Spirit today, when you look at them, at least when I look at them, self-control seems like the one that's not, uh, it feels out of place. The other ones sound really nice, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are like gentle kind of words, you know. Then you have self-control. Like, get your act together. But self-control, when somebody says, do you have any self-control? I guess I don't. I don't know. <laughs> it feels like guilt-inducing, right? It doesn't sound like the other ones. Yet Paul put self-control in here for a reason, and it goes back to Solomon's wall in the 10th century B.C. So the dictionary, it tells us 
that self-control is this idea of exercising restraint over somebody's desires, over your emotions, over your behavior, which lends me to believe that even we don't control our desires. We don't control our emotions. We don't control our behavior sometimes. Those things end up controlling us. That's the insinuation there. I mean, haven't you ever wondered? I have. Why you'll drag yourself out of bed um, to go to breakfast. You'll drag yourself out of bed to go to work. You'll drag yourself out of bed to go to school if you have to. But to drag yourself out of bed to go to the gym? Eh, maybe not so much. Or to drag yourself out of bed to, to read the Word of God or spend some time with God or show up on church at time. <clears throat> The word Paul uses here for self-control is this compound word that means strength from within, strength from within. It's this idea that we, we govern our personal behavior for our own protection, to protect something, all right? And so Paul actually uses this word in a, in a couple different places. One is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I know this is going to be a familiar verse for some of you. You see it on the screen. Do you not know that in a race all the, red, all the runners run? but only one receives the prize. So run that you might obtain it. Okay, sounds good. Then he says, every athlete exercises, where, what does it say? Self-control. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. Self-control. Keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I might self I myself should be disqualified. Now, <clears throat> I so hesitated in sharing this passage. Um, I can run, but lately my body has betrayed me gloriously. And uh, unfortunately, in this training for a marathon, I was doing really great. And then uh, a few weeks ago, something reappeared with my back. And so unfortunately, I've had to make the decision to pull out of the marathon training right now. Um, so, but if you still want to give to World Vision, do it. Fantastic. I'm rooting for Team Cross. You guys are awesome. I'm going to be there all the way cheering for you guys on. Sorry, I feel like a loser for backing out, but that's where it is with my back. All of that to say, I'm really frustrated because at no point in this training for this marathon did my brain say, this is a good idea. <laughs> okay? <laughs> at no point. Then this point came where my body said, this is really not a good idea, okay? But the, 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 I'm frustrated because it all, it all kind of happened and crashed when I ran eight miles, okay? Never run eight miles in my entire life, but somehow through all of this, I managed on a Saturday to show up and finished eight miles. It was crazy, okay? One of the reasons that happened is because a switch went off in my brain. If you're gonna run eight miles, it's gonna hurt. I don't care if you are the best marathoner in the world, it's going to start hurting. That's, that's not the issue. Your body's going to fill up with lactic acid. Your lungs are going to burn. Your brain's going to start doing advanced math. Like, if I run at this pace, but then I don't do this, I'll finish it this time. But if I don't finish it that time, all of a sudden your brain's doing calculus and all kinds of different stuff. All that needs to happen in that moment is for your brain to say, okay, we're going to push through and we're going to do this. And I was like, at that point. I was so excited because everybody told me, Rich, you're going to get to that point. I'm like, no, my brain 
don't work good like that. So, but everybody said that it would. And finally, my brain kicked in and said, get over it, keep going. And I, I was able to keep going. It was really amazing. And then my back did what it did. Now, I share all of that because you have to get to this point where it's no longer about your physical strength anymore. It's no longer about your physical strength, but the willpower to keep going. Self-control to gain something more, to gain a prize. But there's also this idea that we don't just exercise self-control to gain something. We also exercise self-control so we don't lose something too. Uh, I'm not going to throw this verse on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 2. It's regarding sexuality. Paul writes this, Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Now, in other words, what he's saying there is, our passions, my passions, your passions, can take us places we don't need to be going. And we'll lose something if we go. We'll lose something if we go. I don't think that needs further explanation, but it takes self-control to say no, doesn't it? take self-control to say no. So in this series, what we've done is we've acknowledged that this fruit that we experience is relational. Love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things are revealed or not in our relationships with others. You can, you can determine whether or not I'm walking in step with the Spirit, you're walking in step with the Spirit, anybody, a church, you can determine if this is us. Are we walking in step with the Spirit based on whether or not this fruit is coming out of our lives? in our relationships with each other, with those we work with, go to school with, whoever it is. Is this coming out of our lives? Okay. Now, Paul wrote this to the church in Galatia because their lack of self-control and self-governance was destroying their relationships in their church. I want you to think about this. If you can't say no, if you can't say no to your own convenience, we'll never serve other people. Because serving other people is always inconvenient. We'll lack empathy. Our agendas will always come first if we don't learn to say no to ourselves. If we can't say no to pride, we're going to never admit that we're in error or that we need help. If we can't say no to fear, we're never going to take steps of faith. That's a big one for me. We'll never take steps of faith. In other words, if self-control is not a fruit that is coming out of your life, you will lack joy, you will lack peace, you will lack patience, kindness, goodness in all of these relationships. There is a real relational cost when someone lacks self-control. It's there. It's like a family that lives their lives without a budget. They gratify their immediate desires, but then all of a sudden an emergency comes up, and then what? Then what? Not very joyful, is it? Not a lot of peace patience with others in situations. We know this. I, we know this. But knowing a lack of self-control is so damaging, you would think that we would get a whole lot better at saying no. Wouldn't you? A whole lot better at saying no. To end the inappropriate text conversation before it ever starts. To stop finding financial loopholes in our business. To tell ourselves no to looking, feeling, tasting, touching taking. Can we be honest? Self-control is hard, isn't it? You ever been on a diet? Okay. <laughs> Self-control is hard. Telling yourself no is hard. So I can't not show you this video. Okay, so every once in a while, and again, I've been your pastor now seven, eight months, 
every once in a while, I'm going to throw at you one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things does not necessarily mean it's everybody's favorite thing, but I just want to share with you a little piece of my life. What I'm about to show you is one of my favorite things because it is absolutely glorious. It is one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen. I love it. I love it. It is awesome. You don't have to agree with it, but, but I think it's just, it is one of the most hilarious things that I've ever seen. And I can almost guarantee that it's been played in this church before. So some of you, I bet, have seen this before, but I want you to watch this video. <clears throat> All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was going to go find some more. 
All right, so it's one thing to be a kid and not eat that marshmallow, but uh, listen, it is a whole other thing to rewrite the narrative of your life or the life of somebody else because of an inability to control yourself. Uh, There is a sinful nature in us. It's there that turns us towards self-gratification. Martin Luther, the orchestrator of the Reformation, he said, we are all born bent in on ourselves. That, 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 that bent towards self-gratification. The Galatians that Paul was writing to, they were trying in their own strength, they were trying in their own willpower to obey the law by trying to, to stay the course, to stick to standards by trying harder. We're going we're gonna to try harder, we're going to try harder, but it's a losing battle. It's a losing battle, so that's really encouraging, right? So what are you supposed to do? What do you do in that moment? Uh, I've mentioned before that I'm a child of the 80s, which means I'm Generation X. So I'm one of the slackers. I'm one of those guys. Uh, But uh, what it means, though, is that uh, in the early 80s, it was my generation that was targeted in the war on drugs. The war on drugs. Nancy Reagan, uh, the president's wife, was the spokesperson. And there was a statement. There was this this line in the war on drugs uh, in order to keep people like me on the straight and narrow, kids like me, don't, don't mess with drugs and all that stuff, and it was just say what? No. Just say it's as easy. Listen, not getting involved in drugs, not taking drugs, not buying drugs, not using drugs, not hanging out with people that do drugs is as simple as saying just say no. Just say no. And so it didn't take very long, actually, because it was the 80s and everybody wanted to make money to monetize the thing. So there were t-shirts. There was actually a song. There was all kinds of ad campaigns and different things like that. And then um, not long after that was established the Drug Abuse Resistance Education Program. Does that sound familiar? Drug Abuse Resistance Education. DARE. DARE. So police departments partnered with school systems and the government to establish the D.A.R.E. campaign, which was to educate kids about drugs, their impact on your body, the different kinds of drugs, what drugs were used for different things, all these different things, all these lingo and and all that kind of stuff. And then the end of the big thrust of that campaign was, look, now that you're educated, you can just say no. You just say no. So here's the problem. It didn't work. Look at me. It didn't work. (laughs) It didn't work. Uh, It did not work on my generation for a couple of different reasons. First of all, by 1991, by 1991, there were a dozen studies that showed that actually kids that were exposed to the D.A.R.E. program and the Just Say No campaign used drugs more than kids that weren't. You know why? I didn't know what the safe drugs were before I went to the D.A.R.E. class. All of a sudden, they're telling me, oh, here's the drug you can take and not die. I'm like, okay, check that one off in my brain. I mean, all of a sudden, this campaign of just saying no backfired, but it backfired for a couple different reasons. This idea of just getting better at saying no, this idea of just getting better at saying no doesn't work. It doesn't go deep enough. Saying no implies that you have something to back up your no, okay? If I say no to something, it implies that I have some power within me 
to follow through on saying no, on pushing back. So if the fruit of the Holy Spirit of self-control is going to be manifested in my life, if it's going to be manifested in your life, it's not going to be because you are more proficient at saying no. That's not why. Hang with me here. It's going to be because you surrender saying no. You surrender your no. Now that sounds really cute. I know. You want to take a picture of that and post it on Instagram and all that kind of different stuff. All right. But follow me here. If you're going to exhibit the kind of self-control we're talking about here, that protects and enables all the other fruit to flourish in your life, love, joy, peace, all of those things, you are not going to produce it. You are not going to produce this kind of self-control. The only thing that you can do is surrender in your life the thing that stands in the way of the Holy Spirit producing self-control in your life. And is it possible, is it possible that one of the things standing in the way of the Holy Spirit producing self-control in your life is you having to admit that you do not have control. Is you understanding that at the end of the day, you lack self-control. Saying no to sexual temptation. Saying no to lying or cheating. Saying no to impure thoughts. Saying no to blowing your top when you're lonely and you want to feel love or sad, you want to feel better, or angry, and you want to take it out on somebody, when your emotions and your desires get the best of you. We know the dangers of living beyond our means, of eating or drinking too much, of losing our temper, committing adultery in our hearts. We promise ourselves, you know, I'm not going to do that again. I'm just going to say no. If that, if that pops up again, my first instinct is to say no, no, no. And then it works for a little while. I said no. Pat myself on the back. I'm finally getting there. And then that temptation rises again. And that desire rises again. Or where the withdrawals come back. Or whatever starts to begin to emerge. And pretty soon we give in. Because no is not strong enough. It's not strong enough. It's not good enough. There is no power in saying no. What would happen if we surrendered the idea that we can get better at saying no and instead focused all our energy on, on, on becoming better at saying yes to the right stuff. Instead of all this energy and saying no to resist, what if we started replacing that with saying yes to something else? Yes to something else. Paul took this idea of just say no and he put it in the does not work category. He talks about it all throughout Scripture. Instead, he focused on saying yes. Yes to the things that matter. Yes to the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit. In other words, say yes to the Spirit. Then you'll not gratify the desires and the sinful nature of your flesh. Say yes to the Spirit. You can say no to the desires and the sinful natures of your flesh all that you want, but there's no power in your no. There is power in your yes to the Holy Spirit. Are you following me there? So when you say to the Holy Spirit, this is, this is the member of the Trinity, this is God, this is, this is the one, <laughs> he died and beat death. I mean, okay, this is all the power at your disposal. You can say yes to the Holy Spirit, and it's that power of saying yes to the Holy Spirit that all of a sudden begins to knit together the wall a little stronger in your life so that it's not an issue of you saying no anymore, it's an issue you saying yes to the Holy Spirit and your desire to be holy and righteous in God's sight and the, and the peace and the joy and the love and, and that you experience in your life because you said yes to the Holy Spirit. I want that a whole lot more than I want what's leaking through that hole. 
I wanted a whole lot more. That's where this is at. He says in, in chapter 5, 24 through 25, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, if we say yes to the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep saying yes. It insinuates that this isn't just I just showed up one day and said yes to the Spirit because it got all emotional. This is I'm going to wake up every single day and say yes to the Holy Spirit. I've got to say yes. If your biggest focus when it comes to self-control is saying no, I don't want to project failure, but it is going to be this cyclical thing of frustration in your life because God desires to do so much more in you if you would say yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes to the Holy Spirit. Self-control is not about saying no. It's about saying yes to something else. Do we as a church exercise self-control by saying yes to the right things, to the right thing? Is this us? Are we self-control? All through this series, we've looked at Jesus uh, and he, how he embodied the fruit of the Spirit. This one is all over the place. I really just couldn't highlight one story. I mean, he found strength in the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. At his baptism, the Spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tempted. Saw him through that. The Spirit who anointed him to preach good news to the poor recovered his sight to the blind. Uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, it's all over the place, it was the Spirit that directed him and sustained him and empowered him in accordance to the Father's will. It was the Holy Spirit. And on that final night before he went to the cross, when his flesh wanted another way, Father, if there's any way for you to take this cup from me, please, I, I do not, I don't want this. He knew how bad it was going to be. If there's any other way, but then he said, not my will, Yours be done. And in a moment where he could have said no, he found strength to say yes to what? To a cross. That's what he said yes to. He said yes to a cross, and you and I are the beneficiaries of that today because he said yes. Let's go back to Solomon's wall, okay? So Solomon, his most glaring fault was his lack of self-control. This is the same man that God said, Solomon, ask for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he said, I want wisdom and knowledge. Uh, yet in all of that wisdom and all of that knowledge, Solomon could not say no enough. He couldn't say no enough. At one point, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I don't know how you get to like, I got 502 wives. I just need 198 more. Okay. This is somebody who clearly has a problem with the word no, okay? And throw some concubines on top of it and some other things. And Solomon, was a, he was a piece of work. But before long, his ability to resist the gaps in his life, I mean, they just, he had no ability to resist what was coming through those holes in his wall. He had no ability to resist those things at all. He became an idolater. He chased after other gods, and, and, and the saddest thing in all of this, Jerusalem, the people of God suffered because of it, because their leader lacked self-control. I don't know where you lack self-control, but here's my guess. You're not much different than me, and it does not take you very long to figure out what it is, to figure out what it is. It's that thing, it's that issue or those issues that don't seem to go away. Just when you think you're over the top of it, it 
comes back up again. Comes back up again. More than likely, it's the kind of a thing that affects your relationships. Maybe not, maybe not directly, but indirectly. Maybe it, it, it affects who you spend time with, because if you spent time with them, they might find out about it. Okay? More than likely, it affects your relationships. You try to change, you say no, but it has not been enough. Can I just challenge us today? There's a gap in the wall around your life somewhere. And what will fill that gap is not resisting what's trying to come through it, but saying yes to the Holy Spirit who will actually fill the wall, who who fixes the wall, (laughs) who, who mends the fence, who stands in strength with you so that you can exercise self-control because you have a desire for something other than what's coming through. Saying yes to the Holy Spirit, relying on His strength and not your own. He will give you the strength to have self-control. He'll also give you the strength, listen, to start saying yes to the right things instead of the wrong things. For instance, yes to a spouse. When you're faced with the idea of wandering and, and being able to resist it by saying no, you'll say yes to that spouse instead. Like yes to honoring God with your stewardship when a crack starts to reveal a little tendency towards idolatry maybe. Like yes to keeping a commitment when you're presented with an opportunity to back out. No, I'm going to say yes. Yes to the health of a relationship instead of losing your cool and saying what's on your mind. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives you the strength to show love. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you the strength to show joy and peace and patience kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, self-control. What do you need to say yes to today to fill the gap in your self-control? I can guarantee that the first yes is a yes to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Pastor Andrew Patton was here last week. He did an amazing job, and God used him in an amazing way. I know a bunch of you Uh, came forward, you said yes to the Holy Spirit, that's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. We have to keep saying yes now. You have to keep saying yes. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. And uh, I'm going to put a prayer on the screen. I'm going to ask you if you would say this uh, just out loud with me. I'll post this on Facebook. Uh, If you want a copy of it, maybe you send an email or different things like that. This is a prayer that I've gotten into the habit of praying. I might not pray it every single day, but this is a part of my repertoire as far as me making sure that I'm walking in step with the Spirit and allowing God to continue to fill me with His Holy Spirit so I'm not relying on myself anymore, but I'm relying on His work in me. And I just want to ask you, if you would, would you pray this out loud with me? And then I'm going to, I've got a couple things I want to cover with you before I dismiss you, but uh, would you pray this out loud with me? Father, As your child in Jesus, I acknowledge I lack the strength to live the life you've redeemed me for. I claim today your promise of the Holy Spirit to those who believe. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit so that your power will work in me and transform me according to your will. I come, sorry, Holy Spirit, empower me and fill me. I hold no area of my life from you. I come today to surrender. Work your gifts in me and through me so that Christ's likeness will be the fruit of my life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
I'm going to ask you to take your seats. So a couple things before I dismiss you here this morning. Uh, the first is this. Uh, Pastor Ben Chattel, some of you were here a couple weeks ago. We made the announcement that uh, Pastor Ben Chattel is our new associate pastor. And uh, he's going to be joining us. His first Sunday is not until August 22nd. However, just in timing and just different things like that, he's got a couple of children, one of whom is going to be in kindergarten this year. They're moving into the parsonage this Thursday. So if any of you are interested in showing up on Thursday afternoon, I'll put something out on Facebook when they're rolling into town uh, for any of you who are interested in helping to unload them and kind of welcome them into town. We're excited about uh, how God is going to use Pastor Ben as part of our team. And uh, this is a great team to be a part of. We have a lot of fun. And, uh, but more importantly, what we do is we pray for one another, we pray for you. And uh, I just want to encourage you to continue to fill out those prayer needs. Uh, we love the opportunity we have to bear one another's burdens. It sounds weird to say that, but um, it helps me to feel more connected with you. And I know in the size of a church that we are, sometimes we feel like maybe we get lost in that shuffle. But I, just, I, I want you to know that I carry you on my heart. Uh, Chandra, Zach, Courtney, Pastor Ben, all of us will carry you on our hearts and continue to go to, to God in prayer for you. So I just want to encourage you to share those. Even if you don't hear from us back, that doesn't mean we're not praying for you. So I just want to encourage you to do that. All that to say, hey, if you're interested, Pastor Ben and Hillary, you're going to love them. Uh, if you want to come up with a way for you to love on them in some way, they're not going to be here next weekend. They're going back to Racine, Wisconsin, because that's their farewell Sunday. But uh, they're moving in this week so that they can just kind of slide back in and get that kid into school and kind of get the ball rolling uh, the week after this one. So that's, that's kind of what's going on there. I just want to make sure you knew that. The second one is this. Are you ready? So I came to your church at a very interesting time where there's something that was going on and had gone on that I never had to address. But I need to address it today. And uh, because there's chatter right now about mask mandates. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit about uh, getting your heart and your mind ready. So, uh, we, yeah, we, we need to talk about masks. So uh, if that comes down and if there's a mask mandate, we will communicate with you. We will do everything that we're doing uh, that we can do. The church board will be in the loop as well as the rest of the pastoral staff and everything in regards to what we need to do. I uh, was in New Orleans with my wife last week for our 25th wedding anniversary. We made a big trip. And uh, I was actually amazed. Um, I was amazed at the number of people wearing masks. It was, I had gotten so used. And it was a 110 degree heat index. And we walked everywhere. Yeah, it, that was actually when I decided, I think my back hurts too much to do the marathon. Um, it was hot, and wearing a mask was not fun. Uh, I hope you know this isn't a punishment, and if, if we've got to make a decision as a church, I highly value the opportunity that we have to be together physically. I think, I think in, in, if anything over the last year and a half, I missed more than anything. It was the ability to come together as a group of people. If we can't see each other's mouths for a few weeks, to me that's an easy price to pay, but, but I don't want to see us get to a place then where all of a sudden, because we've not taken the right protocols, we don't have the opportunity to do this. I think this is so, this is so important to be able to do this. And uh, so I just want to encourage you, be praying. I'm, I'm just preemptively getting your heart ready. <laughs> 
in case we do have to make a decision and you see something come out that says, you know, pa- Pastor Rich is on Facebook saying, we got to start wearing masks this Sunday. Uh, I just, I want to prepare your heart for that so you're just not kind of, oh man. In other words, go find your masks. <laughs> That's what I had to do, actually. I, I got so used to not wearing them that uh, when we went to New Orleans, I thought, oh man. In fact, we had to buy some more. So I just want to encourage you to pray. Uh, and encourage you to get your heart ready in case we've got to move in that direction. But uh, as your pastor, I want you to know my intent is to preserve the witness of our church and to continue to glorify God in all of our actions, all of our words, and, uh, and in the way we love one another. So I just want to encourage you to get your hearts ready in case we've got to move in that direction. We'll communicate with you. Sound like a plan? I'm going to ask you to stand again because that's what I've been doing all day. All right, let me pray for you. Father, again, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for the opportunities that we have to glorify you, but also to live as a witness to the love of Jesus in our own lives and for others. Father, as we leave this place, as we exercise self-control, we do so, Father, not out of our own strength, our own ability, but we do so by really just laying ourselves on the altar, Father, and, and allowing your Holy Spirit to have his way in us. So would you continue to do that? Help me every single day to pray that prayer of surrender to you and help us as a church as we live out what it means to be this fruit of the Spirit. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless you. If you want to help anything, head over to the community space where we're packing some bags and all kinds of different stuff. Thanks.